Nick Helm and Nathaniel Metcalf's fan club on FUBAR Radio. And we're off! Oh, God. Um, we were talking about Emma news just in. We were talking about Emma. Um, my film of the year so far. No, it's not. But I liked it a lot. And... Uh, Controversy has just erupted. Natalie, our producer, has said that she prefers the Johnny Lee Miller TV version. I haven't seen it. I can't yeah. compare it. Um, the, I think one of the criticisms is that um, people don't like the lead actress as much. She's quite unlikable as the, in the role, but um, I think that's the point. No, she's not meant to be a hero. Anyway, uh, welcome to Fan Club. My, my name's uh, Nick. This and is Nathaniel Metcalf. And you're listening to Nick and Nathaniel Metcalf's Fan Club. Fan Club. First what? rule of fan. The first so rule of fan club? What is it? Yeah. Just tell your friends, isn't it? It's tell your friends, right. What's the second rule? So, please, for the love of all things holy and sacred. Tell your goddamn friends, motherfuckers. <laughs> that's, uh, that's the that's the rule. Anyway, so uh, it's been another week, um, um, uh, another week of uh, bad sleep for me. Absolutely shattered all of the time, like all of the time. I had a twelve-hour sleep the other day. Woke up for an hour and then I needed a nap because I was absolutely exhausted. So, but amongst that, I am doing quite a lot of work, so I'm quite, um, quite happy. Even busy. I am um, busy. It's an interesting point you bring up, though, Nick, at the start of the show, right up at the top, packed with content already because you have said that Emma was your favourite film of the year, then you corrected yourself and said it wasn't. Mm. And you think, well, this year we've got lots of things happening. They've moved back the Christopher Nolan film again. So who knows how much new content you're going to get at cinema at all this year. If you had to think of films that you've seen in the year 2020 to do a best of brand new <laughs> movies, what, where would your head be at the minute? I can't remember. I can't even remember cinema. <laughs> what did we, what did, what came out at the beginning of the year? We saw, st- I don't know if it came out at the beginning of the year. It came out just after Christmas. We saw Little Women. Was that? Boxing Day, did that come out? I think that that is last year. Yeah, it might be last year. Um, and I think it was up for Oscars, wasn't it? So, um, yeah, you're right. So I think it's probably 2019. Um, um, Emma would be high up on my list for this year. Yeah, I'm not, I, I, I stand by it. I think it's an excellent film. I loved it. Um, and I think about it, you know, every so often. And I think, oh, do you know what I think most about it? That bloody white coat that Bill Nye wore. Oof. Oh, yeah, lovely coat. Lovely nice some lovely bit of clobber in this. Nice bit of costume. Um, so the Bond film has been delayed. Um, yeah, that's possibly not coming out this year anymore. Has Wonder, Wonder Woman's been delayed? Yeah, I don't know if it's still... It did get delayed, didn't it? I think until October or something. I'm sort of lost about when things are meant to be coming out. You just sort of wonder what, what you might get. As I, f- I feel like in any normal year, Emma wouldn't be... Uh, in in my top five, but I think unless much happens now, it's probably going to be very high up. I don't know why I liked it. I, I mean, I, no, I, I do know why I liked it. I thought it was an excellent film. 
but may but but there might be a part of that which is um it was a bit of a surprise to me that i liked it that much mm-hmm. but I, I don't know i like those sorts of films um so i don't, I, I don't they know really. kept nailing it they kept going yes i kept agreeing with it and kept yeah. liking things on screen thought yeah. it looked great really enjoyed the story although i kind of knew it to a point and but i enjoyed it all i really liked the whole cast in it i thought it was funny i laughed all the way through and I like the fact that she was unlikable and all of the characters around her were just basically trying to will her to be better. Mm. And she just wasn't. And there was a guy called Johnny... Johnny... Johnny Flynn. Johnny Flynn, I thought. It was an absolute movie star. I thought it was great. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, so... I, but I guess, I guess in terms of new films, I haven't, haven't seen that many. No. Um, I am desperate to see Wonder Woman. I saw the... I watched the trailer again and... Um, I think it's one of the best trailers that has ever been made. And I could, I, and do you know what? It's sort of like if that trailer cost uh, 180 million just to make that trailer, I think it would be worth it. I just thought it was great. There's, uh, there's loads of like, um, one of the things was like, it's like um, she uh, whips her lasso into the sky and then she flies off. And people were like, oh, she flies now, does she? But I think it's because. Um, uh, they hadn't finished the special effects, and she's sort of like lassoing a plane or something, and then, and there's also the bit when she lassoes a bolt of lightning, and then oh, she lassoes lightning, does she? But again, I think it's because there's uh, special effects shots that aren't finished. I just think it's such a good trailer, and I'm so excited. I mean, you didn't particularly like the first one. I was really, yeah, I was kind of lukewarm on it. Really, I thought it was all right. I thought it was, um, like, I thought it was fine. I thought it was like. A, a sort of mid mid table Marvel film, about as good as a mid table Marvel film. I see. I feel very mid level. I think I, I don't know. I just think that um, I left. Um, well, I didn't like Man of Steel, and I left <laughs> by saying it's a mid level Marvel film. You're comparing a DC movie to a Marvel film. Yeah, I'm sort of thinking of how much I enjoyed it. So most of the DC films, I'd say, just explain are like the worst. Might might yeah. So I'd say. I'd say Wonder Woman I enjoyed about as much as I enjoyed something like Ant-Man. That's crazy. Um, Whereas I think um, all your other DC films, with the exception of Shazam, which is the one I think is the best one, I think is um, much lower than that. Oh, uh, yeah, no, I would say. I would say much lower. I I enjoyed Shazam, but I thought it was kind of like um, uh, disposable. Uh, I did not like Man of Steel. I'm just like, I was just explaining to the listeners that, uh, no, that Nathaniel didn't think that it was a, in case you're getting angry, <laughs> he didn't <laughs> think it was a Marvel film. Uh, he was just comparing it to, I think, like I've said before, I think all of the Marvel films are three stars. They're just sort of like, they're really sort of like, I enjoy some more than others and I really don't like some. But like, I think they're sort of all absolutely one watches and interchangeable, and um, and I I like Thor: The Dark World more than I like some of the, like something like Captain America: uh, Winter Soldier or Civil War. You know, I, I kind of so so I but I I just don't I just I think the problem is I don't care. But then I've never really been uh, not that I've never been into Marvel. I like I used to like superheroes before. I feel like it's been oversaturated it's like 
when something like Batman, uh, even like when something, I've just listened to the Kevin Smith commentary on um, Batman Forever. And when you got like a superhero film once every couple of years, like I even like Judge Dredd when that came out, like the Stallone one. I think, I think Judge Dredd's pretty good. I think there's a um, lot of it I like. I acknowledge that it's probably, if you're a Judge Dredd fan, it's not a great Judge Dredd movie, but like um, when you had like, you were drip-fed comic book movies, I really loved them. Um, and now that they're just, if you'd have said you can have either one superhero movie under any comic book label a year, or you can have, um, all comic book movies, but no other movies, you know, no, no sort of like face-offs and, um, uh, Broken Arrows and Connor. You're not allowed. You're not allowed any other sort of like action movie. You're not even allowed sort of like big budget kind of dramas anymore. But if it's just all going to be superhero films from now on, I would I would pick a, a bad Stallone Judge Dredd adaptation over all of the. I feel like we've sort of like from what we've gained through the superhero genre in terms of um, output, we've sort of like lost a lot. Mm, I don't know. I think I think they're of a much higher quality now. And I think like I think what you don't get is, which is the same across the board, is you don't get movies that have an an authorial voice. So you wouldn't get something now like Tim Burton's Batman or Batman Returns, <laughs> which are essentially Tim Burton films more than their superhero movies. But and I now- would say but I would say that DC um because their plans have sort of like they they sabot- self sabotaged their own plans, mm. I would say that it is moving back towards. Oh right, well, we'll. I think they're more they're more authored now. Yeah, I think you're probably right. I think DC have more of a chance of going back that way than Marvel do. Marvel. I think that's their only option. That's their only option. They fucked it. Yeah, you know they they had a plan which was oh, we'll do a Justice League. No, we'll do an Avengers. Uh, but rather than take fifteen films to work up to it, we'll do it. In t- we'll do it in three, mm. and it's kind of like, well, you fucked that because you haven't done the groundwork. So now their only option is to sort of like retcon everything and fix everything. And you go, okay, well, in doing that, you're actually becoming more interesting than Marvel, and you're giving uh, directors with like visions and voices. Like I, I'm really excited about the uh, the, the Snyder Cut. Um, just because I'm just fascinated by alternate alternate cuts and stuff. And even, you know, they cut out something like 20 minutes from Batman Forever, which apparently made it a much more interesting... I just don't think... I don't think the problem with Batman Forever was that it was too short. I think the problem was the performances were fucking atrocious. I, I remember being very disappointed with Batman Forever, but I still spent about a year telling myself it was still good. Like, oh, I'm disappointed, but it was all right. No, oh, it was all right. I mean, it took I, me a while, really, to to sort of bed in and go, I didn't like it. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think I think I instantly, especially at that time, it was coming out at the same time as stuff like Stargate and Independence Day. And, oh, well, although I hate Independence Day, but, like, I, I still have, like, a real soft spot for Stargate. Um, and it was coming out before, you know the prequels, the Star Wars prequels. So it was kind of like in this kind of like yes, period where you sort of like got what you want. I don't think the Tim Burton films are perfect by any means, but I do think that they are good, well-made, interesting. They have like 
a clear tone to them. You know, I don't feel like Jim Carrey walks in and, you know, Jim Carrey's doing a Tommy Lee Jones. I mean, anyway, so my point is that um, if you're, like, taking all of those DC films and putting them in a line, and I was never completely sold on Christopher Nolan. I liked it as a take. But, like, what Zack Snyder was saying, I watched a Zack Snyder interview, and he was, like, saying it's like having, like, a comic book run from, like, your favourite artist. And this is their take on it. And kind of like his Batman and Superman kind of thing was his take on it. Oh, yeah, I totally... And I, you go, yeah, absolutely, I completely understand that. My problem is that when your take on it becomes the cinematic definition of that character for ten years. So what I find now is the fact that, you know, you've got Robert Pattinson uh, just on the heels of Ben Affleck. Ben Affleck might come back, but no one knows. Michael Keaton might come back. Um, and I just find that really interesting where you're kind of like everyone knows Batman. Why do you need to have one cinematic Batman? You can kind of, like, do what you like. And I think I think that's... You're right. I, think that's... I think the the the, um, the way superhero films are going to look in the next 10 years, the coming 10 years, are going to be a lot different than how they looked in the previous 10 years. And I think it's going to be interesting for Marvel, who are also going to be on the back foot now because they've basically lost most of their big characters and franchises. So they're now sort of ploughing ahead and trying to come up with new ones. But they're, by definition, they're, they're now working with what were, as comics, sort of B characters. And... Yeah, but then that's what Iron Man was initially, mm. wasn't it? Yeah, in right. terms of the general public, no one really yeah. knew who Iron Man was. No one really knew who Thor was. And at the beginning of Marvel, there was sort of like a certain amount of education to the, to the general public about who these characters were. Like, all mm. the interviews were sort of like explaining who these characters are. Yeah, and all of the press around it were explaining that because they didn't have Universal owned Incredible Hulk, so he wasn't allowed to do really a solo movie. And well, Edward Norton did the solo movie, but like um, that was a Universal and Marvel production. So when Marvel took over, part of the thing was uh, they didn't have the rights to do a solo Hulk film, which is why he's kind of like a support role in all of the others. And they say if you like cut his bits out, you basically got a Hulk movie that spread over 10 films. Yeah, yeah, sure. But again, it's just kind of like, it, they're all sort of one one vision, aren't they? And I, I think that that's impressive, but I don't love them. I'll watch them like I'll watch like um, a TV show that, I mean, I don't know, you know, it's, it's the closest I'll get to watching like a TV show, um, like over that amount of time. Mm-hmm. Whereas I really... I'm interested in films, you know, individual movies, and um, uh, as opposed to like a franchise. And yeah. you know, and so when when you look at the Zack Snyder films, I think that you know, you've got Man of Steel, which I didn't like, but that's his take on it. And then you've got uh, Batman versus Superman, which um, I really liked. Like I, I really, really liked it, but it is also deeply flawed. Mm-hmm. You know, like I, I think it's half, half, 50% of it is an excellent film and the other 50% is kind of like a bit of a head-scratcher. I agree with that. I think it's easily the best of that run, by far. Um, but, well, what I would say is then uh, when you get... Um, uh, well, what came out after that? Was it Wonder Woman that came out after that? Oh, yeah, I, I guess, uh, or Suicide Squad or all that. I sort of think of the Zack Snyder ones as sort of being their own beast, really. I was sure. about to say Justice League. But I would say that they're all sort of part of that, and I—they're all sort of 
they're all meant to be part of that universe, although they were kind of like letting people have different voices. Mm. And I just thought there was that with Wonder Woman, I thought it was the first DC film. It had all the magic that was sort of missing from the Christopher Nolan films. Yes. And then it was the first film out of the, the recent run that Zack Snyder started, which um, just felt like a complete film. It felt oh, like... Yeah, I don't, I don't want to be negative about Wonder Woman. I thought it was good. I thought it was better. Like, I, I'd sort of, it had echoes of, like, the Christopher Reeve Superman film, like, where there's that mugging in the alley and has all the kind of role reversal sort of takes on that. And I liked it. I thought it was good, and I think it's probably, of the DC ones, I'd say probably apart from... Shazam, it's the one I thought was most successful. And I think one of the things that showed how successful Wonder Woman was, was how badly they used Wonder Woman in Justice League. And it really they made you think, wow, they've really, because it was so, she was so poorly used in that. Was, it it think, I've said it before, I thought it was absolutely offensive. Mm. And this isn't, I'm not like, this isn't kind of like a retrospective bandwagon thing. It was literally, you you watch it and you go, why? She's she's such an incredible character. In her in her solo film, when she's being directed by a woman, you know, it's kind of like she was she was this incredible character, and then, um, and then they just sexualise her for the whole of Justice League. There's oh. just like these really awful, hor- like every single one of the male Justice League. There's some joke about them wanting to fuck her. And then all of the shots are like close-ups of her ass and stuff, and you're just like going, "That's insane that you've done that!" Like it's almost like you haven't seen the Wonder Woman movie. Yeah, exactly. You know? It feels like that almost would have seemed better if they'd had it like a different actress or something. If they hadn't tried to link them, but they're so at odds with each other that they're not really even the same character. Yeah, um, I, I don't. I don't know. <laughs> I don't think that there's any. I didn't think. I don't think there's any way of making it better. I thought it was. I just thought it was good, but I thought that the whole film was like that. Mm. Like it wasn't just like it's kind of like for all the fuck ups that they made with her character, they made it with all the other characters as well. They're just in different ways. Um, yeah, Justice League is an absolute piece of shit. Um, so I'm just interested in sort of seeing. I always find those like failed productions sort of. Or, or cursed yeah. productions, just fascinating. So just to be able to get an opportunity to see at least what they were aiming, you know, like watching the uh, Alien 3 assembly cut. Yeah, I totally, go, oh, I totally agree. Still not I, a good film, no. but it's interesting to see a, a, something a little bit closer to what David yeah. Fincher was aiming at. You know, I think often when you see those director's cuts and final cuts and things, you go, oh, all right, I preferred it before. Often there's a yeah. reason why that happened. But there's not, well, it's a cash grab now, isn't it? Yes. Uh, where it's kind of like, we can make the same amount of, you know, it's kind of like when they re-released The Hangover or, um, or Anchorman and they put in, like, three rude jokes so that they can go extra content. You go, is it a director's cut, though, or is it just sort of, like, not as good as the cut that you released? It's just like they're double-dipping. It's it's, it didn't cost doesn't cost the uh, production company any anything more because it already, it's already on a hard drive. They're just releasing it, you know, um, and they're saying that there's new content in there. And that's what it is a lot of the time. Certainly in the era, in the DVD era, where you'd get lots of deleted scenes and everything, they would often come up and say, well, we cut this out because it really slows down the film. And when you watch it, you go, yeah, I understand that. It's a nice scene. It's quite funny or whatever. But you go, I can see totally why you would have cut that out. That well, point. I watched... Um, 
Uh, well, just, just I really love Wonder Woman. I think it is. I think it is. I think it, if they'd have just released that without any of the other films surrounding it, I think that that would be a standout movie. Unfortunately, Wonder Woman is attached to uh, like an awful franchise that they're in the process of fixing. So I'm not so excited about. Uh, I'm not even that excited about the Robert Pattinson Batman until I see a little bit more about it. I just, I don't like the costume. I think it looks a bit weird. But I am fucking, <laughs> I am very excited about seeing Wonder Woman 1984. I just think it looks, and I think, as I, get, as I say, one of the best trailers ever. I, I would say I am, actually, but I'm probably quite interested in seeing any new films at the minute. You know, I'm sure. kind of quite excited by the idea so of something. I like don't that. think that that is the same as what I'm saying then, Nathaniel. <laughs> I am saying I'm specifically excited about watching a follow-up to a film that I greatly enjoyed. The, you know, and um, you're saying um, you haven't eaten in ages, so you'll just eat Jaffa cakes. <laughs> um, I'm, I, oh, by the way, I hate Jaffa cakes. Um, <laughs> Me too. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, but you're like, I haven't eaten in three days, but I'll pull over on a lay-by, and I, I think I've got a packet of chaffer cakes in my in my glove compartment. I'll eat them, and that'll be. We call that dinner. Um, <laughs> um, I watched uh, the director's cut of Deep Red last night. Oh yeah, um, which is interesting because um, uh. Deep Red is uh, an Italian giallo movie that we've uh, discussed before. You're wearing, your goblin, you're wearing your Goblin t-shirt. I am, yeah, I am. Um, which is interesting because, uh, well, anyway, I mean, I, it's just we talk about it all the time. Yeah, what are the chances I happen to be wearing my Goblin t-shirt on the day we're talking about Deep Red? Yeah, but you didn't know. <laughs> and I literally watched it last night and I was like, I'm, I, the soundtrack to Deep Red is so good. No, um, if, I mean, is it bother? Is, is it worth? Well, me and Nathaniel went to see Deep Red ages ago at the Barbican, and, and Goblin played live underneath it, and it was the first time I'd ever seen it, and it is still to this day the best cinematic experience I've ever had. I think it was, I think it was just amazing, and I love that film. Probably disproportionate to how good it is. I think it is a good film. It's a really enjoyable film, but I think that. Um, so basically, it's an Italian movie that has been dubbed into all these different languages. And when they released it in America, they dubbed it into English, but it was a shorter cut. I think it's like maybe, I think it's only like five minutes shorter, but it's a shorter cut. They cut out like little bits and pieces here and there. And so when you watch the Italian um, director's cut, all of the English cut, all of the international cut, which they dubbed into English, is still in English but there'll occasionally be like moments in scenes where they didn't bother dubbing it because it wasn't in the international cut. So they had the Italian cut, they did the sound mix on the Italian cut, then they cut up the Italian cut to release it internationally. They dubbed that into American or into English. And then when they put the bits back in for the DVD release, they didn't bother dubbing them. So you've just got scenes that halfway through a scene, it goes back into Italian and it comes back out again. And it's really interesting because you know what they cut. You're watching it and you're not like sort of like going, was that in it or was that not in it? It's like, no, that was definitely cut because they haven't dubbed it. And there are things in the, I don't think I've seen the American cut in a while or the international cut in a while. 
So I think I've mistakenly believed that some of my favourite moments in it, like the arm wrestling scene and all of the stuff with him driving around in the car with the seat that's broken, I think that I've mistakenly believed that they're cut out of the American cut. I think I've done that too. I think that's what I think. <laughs> oh, that is in the American cut, right? I think it's been in every version of it that I've seen. Okay. But one of the things is they, they say, well, they cut out a lot of the interactions between him and her. Mm-hmm. Bec- uh, and those are the things that I like the most in that film. I mean, actually, I like it all. I like how violent it is, and I like how sweet it is and how funny it is. Yeah. And also, it was made in the 1970s, but he's still kind of like um, this... Uh, misogynistic sort of xenophobe who is, is played for laughs, do you know what I mean? Mm. It's like um, he's a ridiculous, unlikable sort of character and you're laughing at him. He's like a sitcom character where you're like, this guy's a real prick, right? Mm. Um, but he's still sort of likeable. So it's kind of like, it was made in the 70s and he, he's sort of like, well, men are the stronger of the sexes and he's doing all this stuff. But at no point do I think that they were making it in the 70s and they were kind of, like, holding up those beliefs. Do you know what I mean? No, and she's always the sort of smarter of the two, isn't she? She's sort of shown to be, like, the one who's actually braver and smarter. And stronger. Mm. Um, uh, except for in the Italian cut, where all the scenes are sort of, like, slightly longer and there's a bit... There's the, the, it's kind of like she beats him at an arm wrestle and then as she, as she leaves, that's the end of the American cut. But in the Italian cut, she turns around and begs, begs him to have sex with her because she's lonely. And it, aren't I beautiful enough? And he's like, going, no, no, you're fine. I'm just not in the mood. And it's kind of like, no, no, you're doing all the good stuff. You're doing all the good work. Um, it's sort of, yeah, it's just, it's, it's, it's quite weird. And I think that all of the extra stuff, maybe it's because you're, you're switching between, uh, you know, passively watching it and then you're being like, you know, you're letting the film wash over you, as films do, and then all of a sudden you're in subtitles and you're, you're, you're um, consciously you're taking part. It. Yeah, you're consciously taking part in it again, and then you're switching off, then you're coming back into it again, and you're sort of like watching it on two, um, on two planes of existence. And, um, and it's not like watching a film like Dancing with Wolves where there's subtitles in it and it's just part of the flow of the film. It's literally the, the, the voices change... The sound quality changes. It's sort of like you're being like torn between these two sort of like mm-hmm. um, planes of viewing, and um, yeah, it's sort of like it's a bit of an effort. And I think actually, probably, um, I haven't seen the the American version in a while. I think I'm going to probably start going back to watching the American version because I think it's probably better. Okay. And I think get everything that's good out of it. I don't think they cut any of the violence. I think it's still just as violent, and it's horrible. The worst bit is the bit when he drowns the woman in the hot bath. Yeah, that's horrible. That is absolutely just vile. But when you sandwich it in between these little moments of, like, Woody Allen-esque comedy, (laughs) it's just kind of like... It's such an experience, you know? Actually, I think think that bit of it is, is... Definitely one of the set pieces of the film as well, and I find that bit the most chilling, with the kind of the the fact that when you know she's on her own and there's just sort of really ominous silence and the hanged doll and all that kind yeah, of and the minor birds. Yeah, Oof. 
I think, yeah, it is, right? But I think, that, what's this, like the, the eighth time I've seen this film, I still don't know why she's in it. I still don't understand why. What is that character? She has, is she written the book? Is that what it is? Something did like that. Did she write the book or did she rent the book? It's like, I, I don't know how, I, I feel like it's basically Dario Argento thinking, we need to change the scenery a little bit. And so all of a sudden, you're halfway through this film, and then he sets this scene in the middle of the countryside, and then this woman gets murdered. And there's, like, the most tenuous of links to the main plot, and it's this incredible set piece. But I've seen it eight times, and I still couldn't tell you what she's got anything to do with the, I think uh, that's, the main I plot. I think that's sort of the point, right, that it, it kind of doesn't matter. It's almost like he's done it, and when looking at the script, has gone, we sort of need another murder, really, don't we? And it's like, maybe someone who took that book out of the library once or something. It's like that kind that's of... Like, um, but that's like the sort of thing that Hitchcock would do. But Hitchcock would literally, he'd go, when he was doing North by Northwest, he'd say, uh, I want to do a scene with a plane and uh, uh, doing crop dusting. And I want to do a scene on the... Um, uh, uh, what's, the, what's, the, what's the statue called? Uh, Mount Rushmore. Mount Rushmore. So I want to do a scene on Mount Rushmore, and I want to do a scene with a crop duster. And he'd hand it over to the scriptwriter, and he'd go, you, you, you sort it out, right? And, um, and so, yeah, yeah, that's sort of Hitchcock. But, like, Hitchcock at least makes an effort for everything to make sense. Right. Whereas yeah. Dario Argento, he literally is... Um, he doesn't really care about logic. So all of his films are sort of like bad dreams. Yeah. Where what, you know, it's like dream logic, where, oh, I was looking at a bird... And then I was the bird, and I flew, and then it was school, and then I was a boy in school, and I was at a great, you know what I mean? It's just kind of like you take these weird... I think it's like you're saying as well that there was that, that thing of these films being watched in Italian cinemas with lots of people talking over them and having their own chats, and they're only, only tuning in for the big set pieces, and so they're only vaguely following the plot anyway. So they're probably all going, I can't even remember who she is, but she's going to get murdered now, and sure. You just sort of go, yeah, yeah, sure. The killer is the same. So you see, so if you're having a chat and then you look up, and also you're only meant to watch them once, do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So you're in the cinema and you're chatting to your mate, you haven't seen him in a week since the last film that you talked through, and then all of a sudden the same killer turns up in another scene and you go, right, that's, that's, the, that's the plot, isn't it? It's a killer goes around killing people and they've got to work out who the killer is. Um, yeah, so I guess... Okay. None of them went, shush, I'm trying to work it out. Shut yeah. up! <laughs> and none of them went, hang on a minute, that doesn't add up. Who's she? They were just like, right, she's going to she's gonna get killed. But, um, yeah, so those films really didn't need... They didn't really need any logic, I suppose. Oh, I, think, I think Deep Red is genuinely one of my all-time favourite films. It's my favourite Dario Argento film, for sure. And I, I think what's great about it is that it does... It is a film that pays off repeated viewing because the ending of the film is right. It's not fooling you. It's not playing a trick on you. It's told you at the start who the killer is. I really yeah, I watched it with someone that got it straight away and I was so angry with them. Because it's just like, can't you just shut your fucking mouth and just enjoy it? Can't you just enjoy your life instead of trying to be fucking clever? So all them people that said, well, I knew he was a ghost all along when they saw The Sixth Sense. And you go, I didn't. And you know what? I can guarantee I enjoyed that film a thousand percent more than you did. You know, fucking, well, I knew. It's just like, yeah, well, you fucking ruined it for yourself then, didn't you? Clever clogs. Who's clever now? I'm thicker than you and I'm still cleverer. So that's how I feel about that. 
Um, I think that, um, yeah, I think I agree. I, uh, I like his early shallows, uh, but I think that they are um, fairly generic, but like good examples of the genre. Mm. Deep Red is the, across all of the directors, you know, your Mario Barvers, your Lucio Fulci's, your Dario Argento's, uh, Deep Red is the pinnacle of the genre. It's the best giallo. And then it's sort of like after, but it's also sort of like a remake of Blow Up, you know, with David Hemmings. I think we've talked about this before, but it's kind of like you have an artist who uh, sees part of a murder, but not the entire thing. And he spends the rest of the film trying to work it out. And it's kind of like, oh, I get David Hemmings to do it. And it's kind of like a parallel movie to it. But um, basically, we talk about Deep Red once every five shows. If you haven't seen it, uh, watch it and join in the conversation and tell us what you think about it and tell us what you don't think, what you don't like about it, what you do like about it. There's two versions of it out there. It's got one of the best, amazing, like if you haven't seen any of Dario Argento, um, and Dario Argento, he worked with uh, Ennio Morricone, but he worked with this band called Goblin, who we talk about all the time, right? And if you, if you just think, fucking hell, they're talking about that again, and you're not part of the conversation, listen to a fucking Goblin soundtrack or watch um, Deep Red, right, which is a great place to start, or watch the original Suspiria, uh, and they are two of the most incredible soundtracks to any film. If you took the soundtrack away, the film sort of falls apart. It's kind of like, it, it, that's what we're talking about in terms of like, it's like a, com it's like a complete film. You know, there is, um, Goblin did an alternate cut to, uh, did an alternate soundtrack to Dawn of the Dead, right? So there was an Italian version of Dawn of the Dead with more gore and stuff that was put in. So there's an American soundtrack for Dawn of the Dead and there's the Italian soundtrack for Dawn of the Dead. And it's kind of like, those soundtracks are sort of interchangeable, right? But... With these movies, if you took that, if you took the music off of it, the film would be a lesser film. And you can have alternate soundtracks on other films here and there, and people have done them. And you can kind of go, that's an interesting companion piece. And sometimes you, but, but like, I would say 50% of the film is Goblin. And they're, they're, they're incredible. So if, you, if you're bored of us talking about it, watch the fucking film and write in and tell us what you think about it. Um, we, we probably will keep talking about it, though. I don't know if that'll stop us. We're going to keep talking about it, but at least we <laughs> won't be just me and you just sort of, like, pissing into the wind. It'll be, there'll be actual... People will be our uh, receptacles, and we can be urinating into our audiences. <laughs> um, that's the dream, Nat. That's the dream. No more lonely pissing for us. Um, uh, yeah, I think I probably, uh, I love Suspiria, but I do think it's kind of, um, I'd say the American cut of Deep Red is really sort of pacey. The Italian version sort of like, there are moments of comedy, but it sort of slows it down. Uh, my all-time favourite moment of Deep Red is when they're having a conversation in the foreground and then there's that cop that turns up in the background of a scene and asks for coffee. Do you remember? No. It's at the murder scene, and um, just look out for it. In the, in the first murder scene, when they're interrogating uh, David Hemmings, there's a cop that really wants some coffee that's in the background, and he is so funny. It's just incredible. And it's kind of like this, like, it's just this all-round entertaining film. It's got romance, it's got comedy, it's got violence, it's got adventure, it's got a mystery, like a proper mystery. Um, and there's all these sort of, like, Easter eggs in there, where, you know, there's that Nighthawks uh, by yes. uh, Hopper, 
that there's that famous painting Nighthawks, and he recreates it in the background of one of the scenes. And also in loads of scenes, all of like the extras are just almost dead still, and then there's the action taking place. I just think it's such an incredible, interesting, brilliant film. So there you go. It's time for a song, Nathaniel. Okay, let's do it. So play that funky music, white boy. Nick Helm and Nathaniel Metcalf's fan club on Fubar Radio. We're back, we're back, we're back. Um, what else have you watched? This week? Ooh. I'll give you a rundown of what I've watched this week. I think I've watched about five movies. I have seen The Fury, Brian De Palma's The Fury. Uh, like it a lot. Got a lot of time for it. Do you know what? I've only watched it... I've got it on Blu-ray next to my um, uh, DVD upstairs. And um, I think I've been... I've never got all the way through it. It's um it's a real sort of big budget seventies movie, and it feels to me a lot like almost like a companion piece to Carrie because it's got yeah. you know Amy Irving again, and it's about telekinesis. It's got, it's it's obviously a massive budget film, and it feels like when you watch it, there's loads going on, there's loads on screen, all the what money's on screen. Hmm? What year was it? Seventy eight. Right. Um. And it used to, it used to be like something they used to show on TV a lot, and I used to watch it then. And, and I keep thinking I won't like it as much, but it's—I don't know how good it is, but I like it. If you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if I could, if I can say it's it's a super good film, but I do like it. And I followed that up with a movie called Home Movies, which is a De Palma film I'd never seen. With Robert De Niro. No, with um, Kirk Douglas and Keith Gordon. It's like a comedy, and it's dreadful. <laughs> when was that made? I think 78 or 79, right after. It's like a film... He was teaching at the time at, like, um, Sarah Lawrence Film School, and he basically gave the kids... Uh, one of their projects was to basically make a film. They've got to finance a film and come up with it and be the crew on this film, but he'll direct it. <laughs> <laughs> so he basically got these these kids to make a film for him with Kurt with Kurt Douglas. Yeah, so he called up his mates, I think, and got people he just worked with. So there's lots of like the Palmer regulars in it. It's Kurt Douglas in the Fury. Yeah, yeah, right. Um, and and he's just made this comedy with loads of film students because at that time he was like him and uh, Scorsese. And um, George Lucas and Spielberg, they were all, like, mates. Um, and uh, so Spielberg had just done uh, Close Encounters, Jaws, then Close Encounters, and Lucas had done Star Wars. And then he was sort of, like, at that point, Scorsese was uh, just about to do Raging Ball. He'd done Mean Streets. Um, yeah, and so... <laughs> So he was kind of like doing student movies. Yeah. But, like, it's, it is odd, because I, I know they all say, like, they always expected De Palma was going to be, like, the star of all those guys, Coppola and Scorsese and Spielberg. And it is funny when you watch it back, because it does feel like, for the most part, De Palma is making what appear to be, like, B-movies for most of his career. 
Yeah, but he elevates them. Yeah. He's basically, well, we've said it before, he's basically making jellos, but he's just taken that and he's, like, done it in America. Mm. I mean, right, but he's, like, uh, talking of Blow Up, Blow Out, which was his sort of, like, uh, it's not a remake, but it's kind of like his cover version. That's that's basically his, I think, his best film. Yeah. I think about that film all the time. Um, um, and... Yeah, fine. He was making B movies. I think maybe he was one of those directors that was actually um, better with a smaller budget. Mm. Um, but oh god, I would, I would, I would rewatch his films over a lot of sort of Spielberg films. I think that's true. I think that's what's. I think that's an odd thing that I think about it. I go back to his films all the time. I watch them all the time, and I think about. It's funny that it doesn't feel like the movies he's ma- he's making is are of the same kind of quality. And yet I do watch them way more and I'm much, I return to them much more often, regularly. So it's got like, they've got something about them that really appeal to me. But I'm quite schlocky. I sort of like, I sort of like, I like B-movies, but not like B-movies and bad movies. I like films that, you know, uh, Spielberg made an absolute concerted effort to make, uh, to make huge family-friendly uh, pieces of entertainment that everyone can go like Raiders of the Lost Ark and E.T. and those are big kind of crowd pleasers and that's great um, and and that works people still love them people still like you know you saw E.T. the other week and you still say it stands up and you go yeah of course they're like these all-time classics but De Palma was kind of making kind of like these things that were sort of like um, uh, like subculture they were kind of like, they weren't meant to be kind of like these big, or maybe he thought that they were going to be these mainstream hits, but he was basically making um, Jallo-inspired Hitchcock movies. And all of those guys were responsible for Hitchcock being a name today, you know? Mm. Uh, like, like that, group of, that group of American directors were responsible for kind of like getting Vertigo put back uh, in cinemas in the 70s. And now Vertigo is the number one greatest film of all time. If you haven't seen Vertigo, it's on Netflix. Watch Vertigo. It's incredible. Um, uh, and that's basically, you watch the colours in Vertigo and then you look at, um, what's that one with the president out of Escape from L.A. in it? Uh, Obsession. Oh, yes, yeah. So you watch Obsession and then you watch, I mean, he says that Obsession was basically him going, let's remake Vertigo. But like, and all of the colourscape in that it's just, you know, it's, it's, it's incredible, yeah. Okay, what else have you watched? I have watched those two De Palmas, and I have watched... Because you know why I said the, the home movies? Because he did those Robert De Niro... Yeah, and I would say I watched them recently, and I've not seen them before, and one of them I really liked, and one I wasn't so fussed about. And then you sort of realise, throughout his career, he is making comedies as well, alongside these thrillers. And home movies... Is probably an example of it where you go, I mean, maybe I'm just kidding myself and maybe your comedies are all shit. That's what I kept thinking. I just go, this is dreadful. Hmm. Like, just, it's not funny and it's really like, who is this for? I kept thinking, like, what is this? But I also think that, you know, Spielberg has loads of comedy in his movies and De Palma has comedy in his movies and Scorsese has comedy in his movies. But when they go out and make an out-and-out comedy, it's just like... Oh, God, no, no, don't do that, you know. I mean, I've never been on board with After Hours. 
you know, that's like Scorsese's 1980s uh, yuppie nightmare, uh, New York. Um, oh, sort of. I um, feel like I like that film, but maybe I'm kidding myself. I haven't seen it in ages. I just don't think enough happens. And then it's so. Have you ever seen the uh, Bill Murray movie Quick Change? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, that's like the set. Uh, ba- basically, that is After Hours, where it's kind of like you have like your main characters and they're trapped in this sort of like cycle of bad decisions where they can't get out of the city. And it's just, it's sort of like a farce where kind of like you have the, you just like, it's so frustrating and it's so annoying. And the comedy is kind of, I like, I I sort of like Quick Change because I like that era Bill Murray. He directed it. It's got, um, it's got, head up your butt with a coconut. (laughs) You know, it's got some uh, absolute zingers in there. But um, yeah, I, I think that, yeah, after hours, I just find absolutely it's well made, but you just kind of like feel like unless you're making three films a year, don't waste one of them with this. <laughs> you know, it sort of denies you a Goodfellas, maybe. But maybe he needed to make after hours to get to Goodfellas. Who knows? Um, anyway, sorry. Uh, what else have you seen? I watched Heat. I watched the definitive edition of Heat which is apparently a new version of it. And there was nothing in it that I went, this is new. If it's, I've seen the film, I haven't seen it loads actually, it's not a film. When when it came out, I wasn't really into it. And I've only really got to like it in the last few years. But do you like it? I like it now, I like it a lot now. But I I don't know if I just don't know it well enough, but if this is a definitive edition, there's new stuff in it. I watched the whole film and went, couldn't tell you any of that that I hadn't seen before. Don't know what was different about it. I don't think I've seen it all the way through since this. this I think I saw it at the cinema, liked it, but um, I also feel, I find it a cold movie. I think I, you know, I find that with a lot of Michael Mann, mm. I find them they leave me a little bit cold, and um, and you can t- you can see that he is an expert filmmaker that is working at the top of his game. But I don't love Heat. Which I'm, is I'm, the, I'm the same with Michael Mann, really. I find a lot of it, yeah, like you say, a bit cold and not not as into it. I know people that love his stuff, and I've never really been terribly on board. I my, remember mate, that. my mate Chris just absolutely swears by him. He just loves him. Uh, when we were at university, he used to be, like, really excited about... What was it? The, the Insider? Yeah. Um, and he used to... Every time there was a Michael Mann film out, he'd get really excited about it. And I was just always sort of like, yeah, yeah, cool. But he's not—he's not like a Scorsese for me. Where no, and I, I think there's something where, like, every now and then I see one of his films and I get it more. But I think I've never quite—I've never quite got it. There's things about this I really like. I really like that, that John Voight in it is based on Eddie Bunker, who's the guy who's in Reservoir Dogs, who's a real criminal. And it's yeah. weird to see John Voight playing someone who you know what he looks like, and yeah. he's got this thing where John Voight is like a good-looking version of this guy who's an yeah. actual criminal. And I think all of it seems to be... The more you watch of these sort of L.A. set crime films, you do realise that all of them seem to be based on the same criminals. They're all sort of avatars for the same lots of kind of criminal class. And I find that all quite interesting, that they all sort of don't exist in the same universe, but they're all basically playing the same characters in all these... All these films are based on the same people and... I find that interesting. It's also much more of a ensemble piece than you think it is. 
and one of the reasons it's so long is because even quite minor characters have real story arcs and subplots. And this thing that was advertised on this idea, it's like, it's Pacino and De Niro. It's actually like, there's all the characters in it have big subplots and they're not, they're not these two titans in it. They, 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 I think they're sort of overpowering perhaps just because they are such icons at the time. But when you watch it, there's so many characters and each of them have these big storylines. Absolutely, Tom Noonan's in it. <laughs> yes, yeah. <laughs> you know, Val Kilmer, Ashley Judd is a big storyline. Um, you've got all these, you've got um, <laughs> the home life, you've got the girlfriends of Pacino and De Niro and their storylines and how they all start intersecting with each other. Who's the guy called who's the... He was the president on um, 24. Do you know that actor? What's he called? He's yeah, in I've never seen a single episode of Oh, two. right, okay. He's got this whole sort of subplot in it. It's quite... You, sort of, you realise it's a really long film, but it's... If it didn't have those two actors in, and it had sort of lesser actors, I think you would think about the film in a totally different way. If they were less kind of iconic actors, I think you would think about the film much more like an ensemble. Sure. Well, yeah, I think that it has been, an, it's always been an ensemble. I think Val Kilmer's always had sort of like, um, you know, he's always, uh, yeah. Oh, Dennis Haysburg. Um, yeah, it, 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 he's always been kind of like equally sort of uh, revered in that film as all the others. But um, yeah, I just, I, it's always sort of left me a bit cold, I think. But um, I haven't seen it really properly since I saw it. When I was 14 at the cinema, or maybe I was 15. What year was it? 95, 96? 95. Yeah, I haven't seen it since then. Yeah. Um, what else? I saw a Hammer thriller. It was called Straight On Until Morning, which is quite interesting, like a sort of weird Peter Pan thing. I don't know how good it was. It's sort of hard to tell. It's the guy who did the Italian job, but after the Italian job, and it feels like, a much more low-budget movie. Um, I saw King of Thieves, the Michael Caine Hatton Garden thing. Oh, yeah. Which is like, it's sort of one of those films where you know what it... The film you imagine it is, it's that film. But I quite like that it's really unashamedly, like, mainstream. It's like working title that do all those Richard Curtis films. Right. And it, it's like, let's do a version of this film, which with all the kind of British cinema actors... And it's just the film that the people that go to see it are expecting to see, and it's that film. Right. So it's like, you know, it's, it's, it's Michael Caine playing an update of a guy in the Italian job, basically. Sure, yeah. My mate um, was a barrister on the Hatton Garden uh, trial, and um, he had to be an advisor on that film. And as a thank you, he got these framed storyboards. I don't know if there's an actor playing him in the film, but... Um, no. That, that'd be good if the film ended with them making the film and him being handed some storyboards. <laughs> Mate, yeah. <laughs> He'd have loved it. Um, oh, quite accurate. Quite accurate. So, uh, before we do film, I, I finished watching The Sinner. Oh, yeah. That is... Um, I just... Bill Pullman is amazing, to the point where, directly after The Sinner... Because it's so hard going, uh, I watched Spaceballs just to sort of cheer <laughs> me up. 
Um, I haven't seen Spaceballs in such a long time. I think last time I saw Spaceballs, I thought it was absolute shit. I remember growing up loving it. And then I maybe watched Spaceballs 10 years ago and I thought, oh my God, this is fucking awful. Um, I laughed from beginning to end. I just thought it was absolutely brilliant. I loved it. I haven't seen Spaceballs since I was a kid and I didn't watch it. Because I'd say when I was a kid, I would have put it in my top 10 films of all time. It was like a film that's jokes about all the films I like. Yeah. So to me, it was perfect. I, I don't dare see it now in case it's just like, but it was probably in my top 10 when I was growing up. I think there are like a couple of cringy bits in it, but basically for the majority of it, I just enjoy. I just thought it was really silly and I thought it was really funny and I really enjoyed it. There's like the typical Mel Brooks thing where he over explains his own jokes and they say like, oh, should we beam you? And he goes, sure, it worked in Star Trek. And you go, so in the universe you've created, you've got Star Trek, right? It's like, we all know what beaming is, right? All of these jokes work so much better if you don't like go... <laughs> Remember Star Trek? You know, it's, it's, it's like, oh, that's, that's annoying. But, um, yeah, it's, I just thought it was great. Um, anyway, Bill Pullman in The Sinner is one of the greatest performances I've ever seen. Third series of The Sinner. First series of The Sinner, great. Second series of The Sinner, not as good. Third series of The Sinner, I think it's the best Sinner yet. Um, uh, except for episode six, which I thought was uh, 80% awful. Um, and it's weird because the whole series is great and then episode six comes along and it's just not as good. Uh, it's not not as good. It sort of like um, uh, trivialises a lot of what's already happened uh, because it's a, it's a flashback episode and the guys that they've got to act as the younger versions of the main characters, A, uh, they don't look anything like them, B, there's not enough age gap between them, and C all of the philosophy that's been going through the entire film suddenly becomes kind of like sixth form common room uh, philosophy. And it's just like, oh, is this what? And then it goes on to seven and eight and you're like, oh my God, it's a great again. Um, eight, oh God, it just leaves you just like, like absolutely just gutted. And, uh, and not, not, like, not like it's a, it's a, it's just no spoilers, but it's just so emotionally draining that by the end of it, you're just like, I need to watch Spaceballs, I suppose. Um, what I would say is just a correction to last week when I was saying, why is he a sinner? He's not a, he's not a pervert anymore. So why is he saying? It's because I did, it turned out that when I Googled, why isn't Bill Pullman a pervert in season two and three of The Sinner, that didn't come up with any Google results. But I Googled The Sinner, and then it came up with the Wikipedia thing. And it turns out that the original series was based on a book and then they've turned it into an anthology series starring Bill Pullman. And I guess they felt like they dealt with that in the first series. So no more letters writing in. Speaking of letters, it's time for fan mail. That was about as slick as it fucking gets around here, guys. Um, right, uh, play, play, play the music, Natalie. Oh, she is brilliant. Um, hi, boys. Kevin Bacon has literally just posted a picture of himself. Green, green. <laughs> uh, Brian Johnson. Oh, hello, Brian. How are you doing? I'm great. Shall I get on and read your fun meal out? Yes, please, Brian. Hi, boys. Kevin Bacon has literally just posted a picture of himself grilling meat whilst wearing a hollow man raincoat. Have you kept any weird souvenirs from your project, Martin? <laughs> Love um, that idea. Yeah. 
Um, I've kept everything, everything that wasn't bolted down on all of the sets I've been on, uh, I have taken. Um, I've got, like, uh, taxidermy from Heavy Entertainment. I've got tiny little props from uh, Uncle. Like, they had special sort of, like, cigarette packets made up that weren't branded that I've, I've kept. Um, I've got my carpet, uh, uh, my carpet brothers, whatever. I can't even remember the name of the carpet shop I worked at. But I've got, like, the, the business card from there. I've got my chicken shop uh, card that's got all the stamps on from the first series. I've kept everything like that. Um, one day when I die, I'm sure they'll open a museum and I've got a veritable tre treasure trove for them. Um, what's my favourite thing? I've got something from Loaded. Oh, when we did, when we smashed up all the Toby jugs in Loaded, I kept one Toby jug, which is a tiny little Robin Hood Toby jug, which is on my uh, mantelpiece, which is just there. Just there. You can see I'm pointing at the little green thing on my mantelpiece. It's a tiny little Toby jug that I saved from being smashed up on the set of Loaded. Uh, yeah, so I've got those things. Uh, have you nicked a load of stuff from any of your previous places of work? No, no. It's inappropriate in normal life. Over to you, Brian. Hi, chims! I really miss Radio Roadshows by the sea. I live in Blackpool. I was wondering if you would fancy coming here and doing a fan club roadshow. I've got a gunge tank if you fancy gunging your producer that you shout at. Cheers, Anthony. Love to do a roadshow. Nah? Yeah, I'd be there. I'll yeah, be there. We'd love it. We'd love it. Um, dear Nick and Nat, I've recently rewatched Michaela Cora's series Joint Gum. It's absolutely amazing. I love her. She's so funny. What are your thoughts on her and on her new series? I may destroy you. Cheers, Hannah. Um, I think she's great. Uh, have, I don't watch a lot of TV, but uh, I know that uh, I May Destroy You is on my list because literally everyone has fucking recommended it. So if everyone's recommending it, it means that everyone is uh, shit or it means that it's really good. Mm -hmm. So I'll give it, I'm definitely giving it a go, just haven't got around to it yet. Nat? Same. Exactly the same. Haven't seen it yet, but I hear, I've heard only good things from people whose, whose opinions I respect. So I'm sure it's probably very good. Howdy! I went on a date with someone last night who was a cunt. They were five foot seven. Can we say that I also in the cunt collective with the five foot niners, Mary? No, five foot niners are all cunts, right? You will occasionally get cunts that are in other categories, but that doesn't mean to say that all five foot seven people are cunts. That's unreasonable, Mary. But all five foot nine people are cunts, okay? I hope I cleared that up for you. Hi, Nick and Nat. I recently rewatched The Exorcist and I'm having a few sleeping problems. Basically, when my boyfriend snores, he sounds like Regan. <laughs> when she's possessed, and that scares the shit out of me. Any advice? Thanks, Charlie. Um, sleep in a different room. Or we'll uh, get an exorcist in. Oh, just get another boyfriend. Um, hi, guys. Have either of you seen the 1978 TV movie Ringo? It stars Ringo stars as both himself and his long-lost twin brother, Ogneer Bratz. It's loosely based on The Prince and the Pauper. It co-stars Art Carney, John Ritter, Carrie Fisher and George Harrison. With Carrie Fisher, may I remind you that this was made in 1978. Nice, Melvin. No, I've not I, seen it. I've not I seen it. It sounds great. I'd love to see it. Have you ever seen The Magic Christian? With yeah. Ringo? It's uh -huh. awful, isn't it? It's awful. Did you I like it? Know. You sort of. it. I like it. the idea of it. You love it. You like the idea of it, but when you actually just have to sit down and sit through it, it's fucking Peter Sellers <laughs> and uh, Ringo Starr, the magic Christian. Never seen Ringo, though, so uh, yeah, I'll give that a go. He's my favourite Beatle. Uh, well, he's top four. 
Hello, I'm Byron Hubert. Do you think I should get a double queen or king size of theatre? No, get a king size. Yeah. Yeah, bigger the better. Bigger the better. I think yeah. a, I think a double is sort of too small. I think a queen or king norm. I'd get a king size because you, you know um, you never regret buying a big bed, but you do regret buying a small bed. It depends how big your room is. I've got. A, I think I've got a. I think I've actually just got a double, or maybe I've got a queen, but I've got a tiny bedroom. So if I got any bigger, you wouldn't actually be able to walk around. It would just be the room. So, um, but yeah, I manage. I manage. I sleep on one side, and I gently lay my penis down on the other. And that's how I manage. Right, we're going to play a, we're gonna play a song now, and then we're going to get our guest on. And we're all very excited about that, I can tell you for nothing. So, play that music, Nathaniel, and nice job, Nick. Nick Helm and Nathaniel Metcalf's fan club on FUBAR Radio. And we're back! We're back! We're back in um, <laughs> the studio. We're not in the studio, uh, but we're live. We're not live. We're as live. Um, and my name is Nick, and this is... Nathaniel Metcalf. And we are joined by comedian and author Jen Brister. Hello, Jen. Oh, hello, chaps. How are we? Oh, very well, thank you. Well, all right. I'm not <laughs> sleeping. I'm not sleeping. What? Oh, what, like genuine insomnia or...? No, not genuine insomnia, but like... Um, uh, weird dreams? Really weird dreams. You know, like skimming, when you like uh, skim stones? I, I feel I feel you, yeah. That's how I, I sleep. Some people have slept really well during this whole weird global pandemic. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say I've had like a very lengthy cheese dream for the entire length of lockdown. It's just, just weird, weird dreams. And I'd like them to go now because I feel like I'm having two... I've got this whole life here real life and then when I go to sleep I'm just it's too intense it's like a whole other world I have to enter into I'm like just want to be like dead for 12 hours and then wake up and feel refreshed is that too much I think that that's absolutely perfectly reasonable is that unreasonable no oh god no. I have like these things where um I um I'll just go to bed and then in the middle of the night I will have a dream where I am trying to unpack some sort of um issue I had with someone 15 years ago and I wake up haunted for the next 12 hours and I, I'm I, or, or, like I'm affected by it now as if it had just happened uh, and I had like a bunch of them last week where they're just like they're not nightmares but they're just sort of like uncomfortable encounters with people that I can't do anything about. Nick if you were going to have an anxiety dream that is the exact anxiety dream I would imagine that you had but maybe also with like disembodied like horses or sort of you know headless cats or something in the background but that sure. general n narrative when I When you say I disembodied horse what are you picturing is it a head without a body I'm just imagining I'm imagining a body actually without a head so maybe that's what, yeah, that kind of really weird sort of anxiety dream that... Well, like, if you picture that anxiety dream as a dream and then you wake up and then in actual fact you can't wake up from the dream because it is actually your life, that's a good description of my, my well, situation. Yeah. What, um, so is that every night thing that you're having that or are you... Is, is there a light at the end of the tunnel for this story, by the way? Because it feels um, like this is going down a wormhole of just... Just grimness. 
Well, every week I get to chat to Nathaniel about Dario Argento films. So that's sort of like my light at the end of the tunnel. OK, OK. I don't know who Dario Argento is. Should I? I, I feel very... Uh-oh, you, need to start, you need to start listening to Fan Club from episode one. And don't worry, <laughs> we mention him almost every week. Uh, OK. Uh, so yeah. this, I, think, I think we're on about episode 97 now. So you've got two hours of that. So you, that should do you till... By the time you finish those, we should be well out of lockdown by then. Okay, well, listen, um, I've, I've got all day. I've got no kids today, so I'll start now. As soon yeah. I'll finish this, crack on, and well, I'll just, get Dario Argento'd up to my eyeballs. When you get to your episode, just remember that you've already done I that won't be listening. because you've listened to this one. Well, I, I don't listen to myself on podcasts. That's, no. that's all Why I would do. you do that? No. I, just, I, love, I love listening. And people say, what's your favourite podcast? I said, any time I'm a guest, that's my favourite <laughs> podcast. I, Really don't like my voice, and I don't like anything I say, so I don't want to hear myself ever again. But I will listen to the others, the other 96. I mean, I'm down for it. Yes, Can please. I... And tell your friends as well, I'll, please. I'll, I'll tell my mum yeah. and my other friend. Can I, before we go any further, can I just address what I'm seeing visually? Yeah. Yeah. Because, Nathaniel, no offence, but you look like you're in prison. Um, <laughs> you're just in a blank... But I mean, it looks depressing where you are well, and uh nick you look like you're kind of something between either a hipster and your nana's house i can't figure out which one it is sort of like if your hipster if your nana was a hipster that would be your living room sure well um i'm sort of like in my own prison um in a way. <laughs> of your own making <laughs> yeah. but if we, while we're talking about people's backgrounds i cannot believe that you are sitting with your back to an open door right now jen I'd only do, do you know what? Um, it's so weird. I only just noticed that, and there was a little bit of me that thought, "Can I legitimately get up to close that? Because that yeah, is actually freaking me out." Freaking me anxious. <laughs> like, imagine if there was just like we just saw like a, a shadow or a head pop in. I would literally shit the bed because I'm yeah. alone. You, I don't like the evil side. Hang on, hang on, hang on. Let me hang on. I will. I'm going to close door. it. Can you shut your door? Yeah, fucking hell, fuck me, that was stressful. I, I don't know, I don't, I'm glad that I didn't bring up the background to people's houses because, you know, it was, it was, it was, I was, I was trying to be professional and rise above it. But seeing as you brought it up, <laughs> you know, I made it worse when you'd already prefaced it by saying you're on your own and I kept, I couldn't focus on you. I kept looking at the door and going, Someone's going to appear in that any minute. I know, that was creepy, wasn't it? I, I, I actually, it's weird that I was the last one to notice that. Um, that's actually probably what happens in almost every horror film. I would be the last one to notice. And you're going, look behind you. It's too late for me. I've been garroted. Classic, classic Dario Argento, Jen. Uh, <laughs> if you found that thrilling, you'll love the movie. Um, I can't wait to Google it. You were just, you said... You said, uh, or maybe don't Google him, um, you said just before uh, we went on air that you were recording an Audible thing. What is that? Oh, it was, it's called Edinburgh Unlocked and a bunch of comedians have had to write 20 minutes and then they perform it because it's, because obviously the Edinburgh Festival isn't happening. So in lieu of that, this Edinburgh Unlocked thing is going out. On audibles, what every it's what everyone wants, isn't it? Uh, really, so that's happening. Um, I think it goes out whenever Edinburgh would, would normally happen. It, it will be released on that date. So twenty-five comedians talking into microphone, a bit um, of comedy and laughter. 
how do you find uh, have you done a lot of comedy uh, in lockdown i i actually have yes i've done um well i've done an instagram live every week with my pal more younger and i've also done like too many zoom gigs have you done you guys doing zoom gigs i did a few at the beginning i did i did a few at the beginning and uh i found uh 50% of them heartbreaking. And <laughs> it's, just like, it's just like, well, that's the thing, isn't it? You're in your room. I've, I've moved my, I've moved my screen. My TV wasn't working. So I've moved my, I moved my computer into my living room. So at least I could watch Netflix in my living room. Right. And, uh, but before this, it was in my spare room, which is a small little room, which is filled with like boxes and stuff. And, um, I did a gig and they left the comment section on the side and everyone was telling me how fat and old and washed up and it was all just streaming up the side while I was trying to do like 20 minutes and I had to I had to eventually like hold my hand over the side of the screen and then at the end of the gig they said um, uh, stay online and watch the others and I panicked and I just pressed leave and then I was on my own in the dark just feeling sad about myself uh, and then I just thought, well, if that's what Zoom gigs are like, um, at least when you do a real gig and you have the exact same reaction... You don't the, know. You've got the tube journey yeah. home to sort of deal with it. But, but also, if they haven't enjoyed it, you don't know the specifics of what they haven't enjoyed. Oh, what, what, what is that bit about? And, uh, you know, he's got a funny beard. I don't... What? What, what is wrong with people? Why do you say I've got a funny beard? What? Well, I'm just trying to join in. You know, there's absolutely nothing wrong with your beard. All beards are a bit funny, aren't they? I've waxed mine, so you can't see it, but normally I've got a goatee. Um, uh, look, I, I think Zoom gigs are what they are. I haven't had that experience. If anything, what I find with the Zoom gigs is that no one says anything. So I have, it's like I'm screaming into a bin. So there's no laughter, there's no comments. Then the MC will go on and go, thanks, Jen. And I'll go, oh, okay, so that's, are we, are we done? Like, there's been nothing. There's been, like, literally no response. And then I close my laptop, uh, go downstairs, open three bottles of wine and pretend that my life is normal. So I, sure. I, it, I don't know. Well, obviously, what's worse is someone just relentlessly insulting you on the comments box. That's all. It wasn't just one person. It was everyone. Okay, just trying to. I mean, Nick, I know you're, you, it wasn't everyone, was it? It can't have been everyone. I don't know I, how many people were watching, but it was more than one person that was typing. And also, it's not like they got to the end and they made a decision. It was right from the minute it started. You, you haven't even listened to a single thing I've said because you've been typing. I mean, do I you, do you, do you... <laughs> Do you think, Nick, it was like Bantz? Because they're like, oh, Nick, help, he loves a bit of Bantz. He's not no. sensitive and thin-skinned no. at all. Let's tell him about his beard and his funny hat. He'll, he'll love it. They didn't my beard, Jen. They didn't mention the beard. That's I just think... you. You've brought that to the table. <laughs> um, I I, what about the hat? I don't think they'd ever heard of me. I thought it was just all, well, they must have, they must have oh, known a younger, prettier version of me. For me to have been fat and... No. How, how could they possibly know? If they don't know you, why are they commenting going, oh, you've aged? Well, that's time, isn't it? We, we're all aged. I don't know. How time I'm works. Just, I'm just trying to live the best possible version of it. And maybe if they didn't know me, it's better. But it doesn't hold water because they obviously knew a version of me. I think I, they were my biggest fans. <laughs> <laughs> it was a solo show, wasn't it? I did, I did an hour and 20 by myself. I was the compare. 
Um, no, it's fine. <laughs> right. Anyway, I have But then I did. Um, uh, have you ever done Always Be Comedy? With James yeah, Perry? that's lovely. That's the best one. I, I mean, James has created something really special with that one. Yeah, you've so, got like um, for people at home that don't know. Uh, basically, uh, doing an online gig is basically sitting in front of your computer in absolute silence and then talking for twenty minutes and then just stopping. Um, but when you do a James Gill gig, he puts in the top row, at the, uh, he puts a front row at the top and you can basically see the regulars. And you can't hear them laughing, can you, Jim? But you, you, can, you can see them smiling. You, you, you can, you can. Oh, you know. oh, <laughs> oh God. I'm not, I'm not just saying this. I'm not just saying this to charm you, Jen. You're the worst guest we've ever had, right? <laughs> oh, Nick, I don't think you've ever given me a compliment, ever. <laughs> I mean, in all the years. This is so sweet of you. Thank you for thinking of me. <laughs> Worst. Um, uh, no, like you said, we haven't, uh, so we haven't seen each other in a, in a long time. We have been in contact since lockdown, though. Yes, and um, may I say that I really loved your musical uh, in Edinburgh, which I went to go and see. I took my girlfriend, who is a fan of yours, and uh, loves your beard, by the way. That's often what she says to me. She said, you know what I love about Nick the most? And I said, what? And she's like, his facial hair. So there we are. Oh, oh maybe there's a little bit Hoping of that even going out. Yeah, maybe that's it. Do you know, maybe the reason why I keep bringing up your beard is because she won't stop banging on about it. Anyway, um, we went and I, I literally laughed like a drain the whole way through. I thought it was brilliant. But we went on a day, on a night rather, when your mic didn't work. Sure. Did that happen a lot? Do you mean you went on a night where I did the whole poem and then I stopped the poem and I said, is my microphone working? And then yeah. the whole... So we, um, we had a fucking nightmare last Edinburgh where we uh, rented this equipment and the venue staff never fixed our mic problems for two weeks and we'd sort oh. of like, we'd do tech, we'd do tech rooms it, every day. You spent so much money yeah, in that particular really venue. Busy. We were furious, but then the last, I think the last week, everything, or the, just over the last week, everything sorted, and then we had, like, but we were, like, having, like, um, like amazing reviews, and it was amazing cast, and um, I was, it was, like, the thing I've been, in terms of live stuff, maybe the thing I've, I'm most proud of that we did, but on, on the tech side of it, and we had a great tech, he did my solo show, and then he did that, and we just couldn't sort it out with the venue. We had just absolute. We had a fucking nightmare every single day. Was it the and gear? My microphone or... cut out. So it it wasn't um, the gear was okay, but they just didn't know how to work it, or the gear was a bit faulty and they couldn't fix it. I th well, we tried a lot of things. I think basically they had hired the gear and then they refused to replace it. So we basically had to put all of our mic packs in rubber gloves right. every day to stop it. Maybe it's the sweat. Maybe it was the sweat. Um, I think in the end it was sort of like there was a faulty connection with um, maybe all of them. At, at one point, everyone's microphones cut out. But the day you came to see it was the day that uh, Steve Bennett from Chorter was in, I think. Um, uh, it never yes. went as badly as that. Well, I didn't think it went badly. I just thought, I never watched it and went, well, this has gone badly. I just thought, oh, that's a bit annoying that the mic cut out. I didn't, it didn't, um, in terms of enjoyment. The tech was the only thing that went badly. And then the show was always sort of like of a consistent level. Oh, the but show was so brilliant. Bad. I'd watch it again. I'd watch it again. This time I would like to watch it so that I could hear the poem, obviously. But um, I thought it was brilliant.
Sure, but I did stop it and restart it again, which I think was the most professional thing I could have done at the time. Yes, and I appreciated that professionalism. And I, th I thought you could see me because I was on the end of the row and very close to the front, but I don't think you can see anyone, can you, when you're... I've got my, um, my stage blinkers on at that point where I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not reading any information. If I have to hold a prop on stage, I can barely interact with the prop. <laughs> Like, so well, there was I, a lot to interact with that leotard that you're wearing. <laughs> or oh, yeah. Unitard or mantard. I don't know what to call it. I, th uh, I think it was, uh, well, what it was described as when I bought it. I bought it for a Halloween party that I was going to. I was in uh, North London in, two in 2008. And I had to go to St Albans to a Halloween party. And I stopped off at a, um, uh, at a DIY shop. Uh, and they were selling these sort of like Halloween outfits in a DIY shop, you know, amongst sort of like plant pots and mops and stuff like that. Yeah, sure. They had these things, and it said uh, devil jumpsuit, right? And I thought, jumpsuit, that's like what the Ghostbusters wear. <laughs> no. So Not I went to anything this party, like. I went to this fucking party, went into the, went into the <laughs> toilet at the party, took all my clothes off. Oh, no! <laughs> genitals it's just like oh, God. oh my all the genitals i this could literally make out what was what it was there was a, a lot fucking, going on there it's a fucking cat suit it's not a fucking jumpsuit yes. right so i had to go out to this fucking party and just be like yeah no i meant to dress like this, this is also with all your chest out and everything well i was wearing it backwards you're meant to wear it the other way around and tie it up at the back okay, okay. i thought with sort of like but that's the same one from 2008, so it's all, like, laddered and... Uh, <laughs> well, I've I mean... washed it, I've washed it, but it's like, yeah, it's seen some wear and tear. I wear it for Halloween and Christmas. Um, oh, yeah, it's definitely got a Christmas vibe to it. A couple of... Yeah. Um, bit of mistletoe hanging off your knob, and away you go. <laughs> um, did you ever used to watch Noel's House Party? Yeah. Yeah. Um, do you know when he did the gotchas? Oh, God, yeah, yeah, vaguely, yeah. He did one where Lionel Blair was doing a play on, um, in like, uh, by the seaside somewhere, like in Bournemouth. And Noel Edmonds turned up as kind of like an anorak guy who heckled Lionel Blair for the entire show. And then Lionel Blair went absolutely apeshit at him and told him off and shouted at him and uh, just, just fucking lost it. And then when they did like the recap at the end, they were like saying, well, we thought you dealt with that incredibly professionally. <laughs> <laughs> and he just had a complete meltdown. <laughs> they were like beeping him out. <laughs> you fucking cunt! Fucking amazing. <laughs> <Love it. laughs> I've watched that recently and I can say it's well worth a watch. Because, is it on YouTube? Oh, it's on YouTube. And he is furious. And that's <laughs> what's great about it. But it's not like... And now it, you have the little kind of inset of him laughing as it's happening. But it just looks he's like... He's not laughing. You're not laughing. He's not laughing. It's just he's, he's, having, like, he's livid. <laughs> yeah. He's livid. I wonder why... These celebrities didn't just go, I'm sorry, mate, but you can't stick that on your stupid gotchas. I'm just not going to let you have that. Why did he just let that go? And he go, yeah, sure, I'm uh, game for a laugh. Do you remember game for a laugh? Can be seen oh. to be... Uh, no. Oh, OK. You don't? What's, what did you say now? You don't, you don't remember game for a laugh? You're not old enough I don't remember game for a laugh. Who, who oh. I, remember, for a laugh? I remember game for Thank a laugh. Thank you, Nathaniel. Um, game for a laugh was... 
it, well, that's where Jeremy Beadle started. And it had Henry Kelly, Matthew Kelly, Sarah Kennedy and Jeremy Beadle. And they all had a little section. Matthew Kelly would always do crazy stunts. Henry Kelly would do whatever he did. Sarah Kennedy was Sarah Kennedy. And Jeremy Beadle did his bit. And it was on Game for a Laugh. And it was the thing, it was... Anyway, it doesn't matter, but it was the first, it was in the 80s and it was it started all that sort of reality TV. Hey, gotcha, hidden camera stuff in this country. Um, so but, basically, Beadle got his own spin off series, yeah. So Beadle got what's that, what's Beadle's about from Game for a Laugh. Oh, wow. oh the good old days. Both brought up an interesting thing here, though, that you both sort of touched around it. And one was when you're talking about Nick and your comments on your Zoom gig, was that because? And Jen, you said, do you think that sort of bants? Do you, I find sometimes interactions I have with people online, I think because you're doing something funny, you do often get people that feel like you have absolutely overstepped the mark in this relationship. Do you find that in kind of comments online, on Twitter or anything, that people respond to oh, you? Yeah. That you think, I think they think they're being very pally, but it's like, I mean, that's outrageous. I don't know you. I have, I mean, have you ever, or also, have you, or have you ever had that where you've been walking down the street and someone's just said your name? Helm! Nick Helm! And you're like, oh, that's a mate. And you turn around and you're like, I don't know who you are. I get it when I'm walking down the road and someone shouts out cunt and then I look and then... Uh, it's not <laughs> it's me. me. It's not for Sorry, me. mate. <laughs> um, I've... I tell you what, just before lockdown, I went to a Supergrass concert um, at Alexandra Palace and COVID was sort of like a thing. And um, it turns out that I think like the uncle demographic and the Supergrass demographic, I can go, I went to see Ramesh Ranganathan at Alexandra Palace um, uh, and uh, I'm in a sitcom with Ramesh. Not one person recognised me, right? Oh, you're in his sitcom. I'm in his sitcom. I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm a reluctant landlord. You're a reluctant landlord, yeah. And um, and not one person recognised me. And then I, <laughs> like two weeks later, and I'm like, I'm in the fucking, I'm in the fucking, I'm in the fucking <laughs> main guy's show. What's the, what's the lemon over here? I'm lemon, right? And then uh, two weeks later, I went to see Supergrass, and it turns out that my demographic and Supergrass de demographic, there's like this Venn diagram crossover. And it was, I was with my friend, uh, Rebecca, who's not a comedian, she's a, she's a chef. A normal human. A human, right? Yeah. And she said, it's like being at the fucking zoo, right? It's like being an attraction at the zoo. Because everyone stared at me, and people were coming over and grabbing me, and hugging me, and kissing me on the face, and getting... And it was just like... But I'm, I spend 99% of my time in my flat, and occasionally I'll leave, and... That is part of the reason why I don't really go out that much. It's kind of like, and it was horrible. Uh, and also there was this COVID rumour that was going around. And then afterwards we went to the bar and uh, it's sort of like a horseshoe bar. And I was on one side of the bar and with Rebecca and I was just focusing on Rebecca and my mate Ollie, who we went together with. And the whole other side of the bar all had their phones out and they were like Googling and staring at, and that was horrible. And then at one point I went to the toilet and there was a queue to get into the toilet. So I went, I was going into the cubicle and there was this guy in the cubicle queue before me and uh, he looked at me and I was sort of like keeping low profile and he said, um, oh, and he pointed at me. I was oh. like, and I was, like, I was, on, like I was like a foot 
texting and he pointed at me he goes oi you're that guy off the telly and the whole fucking packed toilet all sort of like looked oh and no for the fucking people peeked out the top of the cubicles yeah people, people were sort of like standing up with their shitty asses trying to look at me and then you're like you're the, you're the guy telly. and i'm like going what the fuck no what the fuck he goes what's your name and he's like clicking in my face and he's going what's your name what's your name oh it's uh it's uh and it went on for fucking ages and then he got his phone out and i said you're not getting your fucking phone out and taking a photo of me in the queue for the fucking shitter right and he was like uh, oh come on and i ended up just having to leave I had, to piss, I had to piss in a bush. Oh, that's so obnoxious. Oh, I wasn't that bad. Come on. <laughs> I'm not a human. I mean, at least you didn't tell him you wished he had cancer of the bum hole. No, I didn't say that. Yeah. No. Yeah. No. Um, not that I've ever heard you say that. I'm just saying that that is... <laughs> I wouldn't. No, um, of course you wouldn't. But did you... So did you, did you get stuff like that? I, I mean... Like, very, like, no, not very rarely, but it has happened to me a couple of times. Um, and I and I have found it actually really annoying. I, I was surprised that my, my response was, was visceral anger. <laughs> um, <laughs> and I thought, it's a good job you're across the road because I would just have told you to fuck off. I, 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 I don't really... I find and that sort of shouting annoying anyway. Uh, uh, it's a bit like when, like you know, blokes go, "Oh, come on, smile, darling." It's I have that same sort of like, "You smile, you prick," um, feeling, um, and I was amazed. And I think that people sort of deal with it really well. Like I was doing support for Romish and on his tour, and everywhere we went, people just literally like latched onto him would follow him wanted photos with him wanted an autograph wanted to chat to him and he never ever ever even got vaguely ruffled or annoyed or even he just go yeah sure mate and he'd do the little bounce in the chat and get get into it and then he'd ex- talk about football whatever then he'd managed to extricate himself in a really sort of like okay well it's lovely to meet you i'm just gonna i'm going home now take care of yourself I just don't know how he did it. Like I, I could have, I could have done it like twice and go, yeah, it's nice to see it. Play, bounce, and then the third time, I'm like, mate, I've already said I'm going. I don't know why I'm. I don't want to talk to you. Do you know? I don't think I could maintain that. Yeah. I don't think it's ever something I'm going to have to worry about. To be fair, but to watch him do it, I thought that requires a real skill. And that's that. just day to day with him. It's like I walk, I walked. Yeah, just him going to. The shop or something. I walked. I walked with him from one end of Soho to the other because we were going for some food, and he just got. We got stopped every, every like you know, and people would hand me their phone to take a photo of him and them, and I had to say it's really embarrassing, isn't it, Rom, that they keep mistaking you for me. Uh, it was, it was, <laughs> <laughs> he's embarrassed too, to be fair. He's a is gentleman that, like that. Is that why you grew the beard, Nick? So you that's could do that. Beard, yeah, that's what I thought. Yeah. We were, but we were sat in um, we were sat in a noodle restaurant, and somebody literally we were you know where they put benches by the window because that's the exact sort of food you want to be seen at a window <laughs> eating. It's just a bowl full of noodles with it going all over. Yeah, slurping everywhere. And um, we were sat at this sort of like uh, 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 bar by the window, and uh, so and the window was open, and a guy just was he was walking by. He got his phone and he stuck it under the window, and he sort of started. And I just grabbed the menu and I like covered it up, said, "Oh, fuck off!" I got angry on Ramesh's, but I was jealous. I was jealous. 
Did you like put the menu in front of Ramesh and put your face in? Like, I said, hey, here's the money maker. What are you doing? <laughs> um, no, I think it's weird because people assume that that's what you got involved in it all for in the first place. You know? Yeah, they don't realise that the bit that you enjoy is a bit on stage, and then you don't want to get involved with any of the other bits outside of that. Uh, but I mean, I appreciate that if once you're at that level and whatever, that's just part of the that's part of the contract you've signed. So you kind of have to sort of find a way to deal with it. But I, I, Ramesh, I mean, at one point we were, we were at our hotel in, in the hotel bar. All we wanted was to have a drink. That's all we wanted to do is have one drink, go to bed. So we were sitting, there was a group of us, you know, on Rom's tour, his tour manager and sound guy. And we were just having a drink. This guy just comes over and he goes, you to Ramesh, um, I'd like to have a chat. Could you come over here? Cause I'd like to have a chat with you. And Ron was looked at him and went, I don't, I don't think so, mate. And he went, no, 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 come over. Come on, come on, because I want to have a chat. And I just went, he's not going to have a chat. I'll tell you why he's not going to have a chat, because he doesn't know you. He knows me, and he's talking to me. So could you go away, please? And he was like, oh. He said, oh, thank you for doing that, because I, I didn't know how to get out of that. And I was like, well, always get out of it like that, because that was, that was just so entitled and rude. I, I just couldn't believe it, that anyone would get away with or think that that was acceptable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And... And to show what a complete penis this bloke was, he didn't even leave. He just sort of still sort of hung around. It was bizarre. If that guy, if that guy in that interaction probably says to people, oh, I met him once and he's an arsehole, I bet that's his, his response. Yeah, yeah. He, I mean, he was such an arsehole. Uh, and I have never had a problem with being an arsehole. So um, <laughs> I'm always happy to step in on anyone's behalf. <laughs> Well, I was in the middle of my tour, actually, and so it was a bit gutting to have that cut quite so short. So there was a part of me that was gutted and there was a part of me that was relieved because it meant I didn't have to travel because I, I, I don't, I don't yeah. really enjoy the travel same, and, the same, and, and the, um, the desperate uh, feeling of emptiness and loneliness that comes with touring. Um, so I was glad not to have that, but I was gutted because that was my year. That was, that was, that was, that was what I was going to be doing. I was going to be touring until the end of May. Then I wasn't going to be going to Edinburgh. So June and July were going to be festival gigs and sort of fun stuff that I wanted to do. August, I was going to go away with my kids and my girlfriend. And we were going to have an actual holiday. And then, you know, September, whatever. I don't know what was going on. Other stuff's happening. So uh yeah it was i mean the same for anyone the same for all of us it was just all of that went my, my diary went from being rammed until december to being completely blank and yeah. having having an income and having no income and I, th I think the reason why i was particularly gutted this year is because i think well for me it's taken me such a long time to to make a living like a decent living out of this that I just, I'd like, I literally was just saying to Chloe, my partner, I was like, do you know what, this is the first year where I really feel like we can relax financially a little bit. We, we, we can start saving, we, we've got, we can make plans, we can do stuff. Um, 
and it all went to shit. And now we're back to, okay, so uh, what if I, right, if, what can we cut? What, what can we do so we can save money? You know, so it was, a, you know, it is, it's the same for everybody, obviously, but it, it was, um, I think for a lot of, and I'm in a better position than a lot of comedians, so I really need to wind my neck in, but it was just disappointing. No, no but, but it's, it's just your, it's just, it's your experience of it. You can't, you can't apologise that your situation is any, uh, better or worse than anyone else's experience it's just your experience that's one yeah. of the things that's just one of the things about about this it has affected everyone you know and there's what's happening outside of your outside of your house like on an international scale and on a personal scale for everyone else and then there's what's happening to you and what's happening to you is just as real as what's happening to everyone else you know yeah, I, I, I tell you, I think it's because I feel really sorry for the comedians that were just making their way through and they were just breaking through into the clubs and were living hand to mouth on gigs, but were doing well. And I feel for them because they're the ones where I go, oh, well, now you're going to actually have to just get a job. Yeah. You're just going to have to get a job. And I feel like that's it's, just gutting. It's fucked, but you can, still, you can still feel compassion for them. And also deal with your own shit. Yeah, yeah. I, I still feel uh, annoyed uh, and gutted. But, you know, <clears throat> I'm hoping that... I'm hoping that this will just be on pause for a... And then things will pick up. I don't know. Who knows? Because you're, you're touring again in September, right? Well, am I? Probably not. So, yeah. Those dates won't happen. I, I would really, really doubt that those dates are going to happen. So and how we're looking you... until next year. But were you talking about, were you looking into doing kind of uh, social distancing at them? Yes. Um, well, I don't know. It depends on the venues. I think a lot of venues will be like, it's not financially viable for us to open it to like a third of the audience and still and have to have more staff. So have more staff, but less audience. So I think they'll say, do you know what? No. And then look to look, look to wait until the new year and see where we are then but the reality is i mean we're probably not going to have a vaccine for another 18 months to two years mm -hmm. so all of this is about how can we make this work mm -hmm. uh and and if there can be any kind of subsidy so that venues can do that which i has been obviously isn't going to happen because comedy venues weren't included in the bailout was were they so that's going to be the that's going to be the tricky thing do you feel there's do you feel there's a time limit on your show? Does your show feel particularly prescient or it's about the now? Well, it, it's not just I mean, I think my show can because it's about privilege and actually weirdly with the BLM um movement, it's if anything more pertinent now. It's more that I don't know how you feel about material, but I have a um a finite amount of time where I have any attachments to the material I've written and mm -hmm. then it, it it's dead to me it means nothing so even if it even if it is relevant I'm not connected to it I'm now connected to the material I'm writing now so I've said I've said to myself more than anyone but to my tour the guys organizing my tour it's a little wonder that I'll I'll keep it open until spring and then after that we've got to just kick it in the dick and forget about it because it, it, it's, uh, it's, it's going to be out of date for me. Yeah. yeah, I feel, yeah, my show was about, because um, I got put on pause and I think I'm doing it in May. Or oh, are you? Are you doing next summer then? 
So, well, I was I was halfway through a tour, and so just when locked up, I felt exactly the same with you. Like, I was relieved that I didn't have to do all the travelling and all that, but at the same time, it was just like, you're kind of, like, delaying the inevitable. But my show was about my mental state at the beginning of 2019. Right. And, and it was, like, very personal, and it was about how I was dealing with my depression and, you know, and... Every time I went on stage, it was real, you know. But then to put a pin in that and pause it and then go, have to, A, dredge that all up. I don't think that's healthy. And B, uh, just go through the motions just for the sake of the fact that that's the name of the show and you've sold tickets. Yeah. I think that it's insincere. And so it's kind of like I could probably do another version of it and I could probably rewrite bits and I could maybe do an amendment or an update. But... Oh, so <clears throat> if I'm going to do that, I may as well just write a new show. That's exactly what I... That's that's how I feel. So if it comes to the point where someone goes, well, you could rewrite 20 minutes or you could add a different thing, then I'm like, well, if I'm rewriting that, then I want that 20 minutes to be in my new show, not not to, like, pad out an old show that I'm trying to, like, you know, resuscitate. So, yeah, I, I agree with you. Um I thought the one way around it, because I've got stuff that was relevant, that, that was actually, it was about statues getting torn down and blackface and, uh, and, and racism, right? And oh, right. I mean, I, that, I don't know how you would make that connection. I wrote, I wrote in, in 2019, and it's kind of like you go, this isn't sort of like, I'm, this isn't sort of like th a thing that I've written because it's in the headlines. This is something that I was talking about Oh, I thought you were joking. So you genuinely what? Yeah, I wrote. I, wrote, I had a routine about um, uh, about blackface and tearing down statues of, of people and stuff like that. And uh, I reference it. It's not like a huge routine, but it's kind of like there's references to stuff that is actually in the news now. But I wrote it at the beginning of 2019, and it was based on something that happened in 2017. You know, right. it's kind of like I don't know how you go into it now. Uh, and keep it the same show without making a reference to the point that there's been all of this stuff. You know, we've progressed. In that's, that's so bizarre, isn't it? And like in the space of, I don't know, 18 months that something like that could have had such a cataclysmic sh shift in a way, <laughs> societally, um, is, is I, I, I don't know. I haven't, I, because I haven't heard that bit. If I, if I heard it, I'd, I'd, I'd have a bit more of an objective, you know, take on it, perhaps, than you the do. The gist of it is basically saying that blackface is wrong. <laughs> yeah, I hope so. I hope that was the gist. But it's also talking about kind of like um, taking... Like, it's about the jazz singer. The very first uh, talking film was uh, The Jazz Singer with Al Jolson, and he blacks up. Yeah, well, that was I'm what he like, was famous for. Kind of like, it's unacceptable to black up, but also at the same time, it's made in the 1920s and things were different then. And it's also about, like, destroying... Uh, you know, it's just like going, well, rather than destroy the film, the jazz thing, and say no one should watch it, it's there as a historical document, so you can go, like, well, this is what it was like, and it was unacceptable then. And then it's about Neil Diamond doing a remake of The Jazz Singer and changing, in the 70s, and changing the story and all the songs and everything, but he still blacks up in it. 
And it's kind of like going, um, that's the one thing you didn't that's change. That's the one thing you should have changed, mate. <laughs> that's the one thing you didn't change. And then it's also about sort of um, about Laurence Olivier. And Laurence Olivier is in The Jazz Singer. And he's got a statue outside of uh, the National Theatre. And he played Othello. And he blacked up in Othello. And I'm just sort of like saying, like, tear the statue down. You know, and, uh, and, and so it's kind of like, you're kind of like, there are all of these pieces where you kind of like, and it's kind of like you go, like, I don't know how you would, so it's, it's sort of like going, right, isn't it? Like, racism's bad, right, isn't it? Because we're all on the same page. And then when you get to this point about, like, t- taking statues down, and, and then it's just kind of like, you go, well, hang on a minute, maybe we're not all on the same page. The fact that it's like this news story, and it's kind of like, well, how do you do, how do, you do <laughs> that material where you're sort of taking for granted that we're all kind of, like, um, reasonable, decent human beings? Well, you, you, you do it from that angle where you pose that question. You go, and there, when I wrote this, I just had the assumption that we were all on the same page. Turns out, these pricks exist. <laughs> That's how I think you do it. You do sort of like almost like a parallel direct yeah. commentary where you're like picking apart this thing that wasn't, wasn't particularly relevant at the time and now is hyper-relevant. It's like both sides of it. You kind of like you performed it before, and you're performing it after this huge societal shift. I actually think it would be is is in a way a really prescient and really important bit of material to do. And I don't think you should worry about how because it, exactly the, you, you, what you're doing is you're saying this was this was the bit of material I was doing and this was the assumption that I had and this was my the assumption that I presumed that everybody was on the same page that we all agreed that racism was wrong and and that we should be tearing down the statues. Then the statues started to come down and then this started to bubble up and these things started to happen and then you've got actually an opportunity there to like maybe write a couple of minutes of material, you know attacking those people or, or, or yeah. do, do you know what I mean where you can just and it doesn't have to be much Nick. you I mean you could go into a whole separate routine about it or it could literally be a minute and a half so I, I think it's I think it's I think it's a bit of material that you, you should definitely keep outside of your show I think because it's sort of like a year later you know like gonna go on tour and then a year later you uh, go back on tour I think there's going to be the point where you're relearning the show anyway. Yeah. I don't write it down like sentence by sentence and paragraph by paragraph. It's, I do it verbally or orally. You know? have, you, have you recorded it? Is it yeah, recorded somewhere? Recorded. Yeah, great, great. So I think that when you get, on, get up on stage and you're relearning it, then you're going to naturally sort of like change stuff anyway. And then you're yeah. relevant. But it's a different show. It will be a different show to what it was, you know. Well, it, but it, how can it not be? After you can't go through a global pandemic and then exactly. come out and go, guys, nothing has changed. Here's exactly the same error I was going to deliver to you anyway. Here we go. And now we have to. That, at the start of lockdown, I thought, well, it's a good opportunity to write stuff now. And certainly at the beginning, I felt, well, I have no idea what the world's going to be like at the end of this. So I just felt that completely crippled by able to write anything really. So you go, no idea what anything, what anything will be like or what how people think about things afterwards. I, I think um, the the thing that I found w- w- that most people were experiencing at the beginning of lockdown, particularly, was this feeling of being paralysed uh, creatively, not being able to write anything because we were we were all in a sort of paralysis. We were all in a state of well stasis where we were like we don't know what's going to happen and we don't know where we're going to be in six months. And so what 
am I writing about? And also I, I had a very intense anxiety, <laughs> um, which I wasn't expecting. And so that felt like somebody was standing on my chest for about the first two months. Um, so that, that made it impossible to feel like I could be, like I had anything to say other than let's just get through this, you know? Um, but now that there's been a bit of, things have eased up a bit and uh, we're treading water before the second wave. <laughs> um, I, <laughs> I feel, <laughs> I feel like the, the creative juices have started to flow a bit more. So, um, yeah, I was trying to get stuff down now before we go back into anxiety, mm. Phil. Do you feel nervous about performing again or are you looking forward to it or are you can't wait or a bit dreading it or? Well, I did, last week I did one of those car park comedy things. Oh, yeah. And I, well, I it's not that I didn't prepare for it. I knew, I knew the material I was going to do and I felt pretty confident about that it would be whatever it would be you know we've all done gigs where we're like this will never work it's really weird what the hell but you just do it nice. i was not prepared for one how nervous i was before my name was called because i haven't felt nerves <laughs> for a long time not like that anyway i feel like a, a feeling of adrenaline but i don't generally feel like oh, oh my god i don't want to do this and yeah that that really um hamstrung me really because i when I got out, I, I felt like I don't, what, what do I, and it was just a row of cars, you know, cars after cars after cars. And uh, I got the first gag out quite slower than I normally would, but I got one out and then somebody honked their horn in approval. And then my mind went blank. <laughs> I was like, I don't know what to say. Because it's bizarre. Because of bizarre things just happened. Because, uh, you know, like the, the way of showing that they enjoy it is to honk their horn. I mean, it was probably not that long, maybe like a couple of seconds before I got my head around the next joke. But I haven't performed and felt that out of control of the gig in since I was an open Micah, really, or unless you know the first time you perform your show or you're previewing a show, maybe because yeah. this is material. This is my twenty. You know, this is a this is stuff that I should know inside out and back to front. And these are my bangers. These should work, and they they were not the really nerves, working. <laughs> is the nerves you think because you haven't performed for a long time, or because of the situation, or a mixture of both? Or... Probably a mixture of both. A mixture of of suddenly the re the realization that I of what it's like to perform when you're not match fit, which I, I, I haven't not performed in like, I don't know, close to 20 years for this long. It's just, I, I'm, I've just been gigging every week for years and years and years. Um, and also because, you know, there's no, no one's laughing and it's a, it's a row after row of people in cars. And it's a, it is, it's just a weird situation to be the first gig that you do back in a situation you've never done before. Yeah. But, you know, there were two gigs. The second one was a little bit better, I think. I don't. It felt better anyway for me. I don't know if anyone enjoyed it. It's hard to say. <laughs> did you like that? Did you like? Did you not like that? <laughs> okay, I don't. But know. it's taking something that you're familiar and you're good at, and uh, uh, and then it's just completely. It's the same with. I got so nervous doing my first uh, Zoom gig. Yeah, me too. Like, like chronically nervous. And I was just sort of like, the day, the second half of the day was a write-off. And I sat there and had notes stuck all over the thing. And I was just, and I was so nervous. And it's just kind of like, and you go, fucking hell. I, I used to be able to do stand-up comedy. And now I can't do stand-up comedy. What's that about? And it's like, 
it's not stand-up comedy. It's a no. completely new set of skills. And you, you're kind to yourself because you're learning that. Yeah. Yeah, and, and the same with the... Yeah, you're right. And the same with the car park thing. And I, and I think that's probably... I'm not saying that my set was brilliant or anything, but I probably went a bit better than I thought it did because pretty much every comedian that got off was like, oh, God, I don't know what that was. And when I was watching it, I was like, it was great. You look great. You look confident. You looked in control and you had jokes and people did laugh. It's just that you couldn't hear them. But even if you were chronically shit, you've got every, <laughs> yeah. you've got every right, every right to, be. to be shit. I know. Because I know. you've never done that before, right? But I think that it sounds to me like um, doing the comedy stage at Latitude where you go out, oh, you can't hear anyone laugh. All of the laughter escapes outside, out the side. Out, outside of the tent, yeah. yeah. Everyone comes off thinking, uh, and I, I don't regularly perform in front of 5,000 people. I do 20 people upstairs in a pub, right? And it's kind of like, so you come off stage, everyone comes off saying, oh, I died, I died, I died. And you've watched it and you've gone, no, you did really well. And yeah. people want to go and see fucking the killers on the other stage. That's why they left. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's yeah, not- and it's got nothing to do with what you're doing. I know. It's just a different thing to be performing in a... And often it's in the middle of the day. And if you had 20 gigs in a row of doing 5,000 people in that comedy tent, by, like, the fifth one, you'd have cracked it and you'd know what you were doing. Yeah. Right? You never have that much experience to do these really weird gigs. So if you keep at the... Oh, I guess I'm just saying, guys, if anyone's listening out there, and you have a bad first Zoom gig, or you have a bad first car park gig, you keep doing them, and by the fifth one, you'll be fucking amazing. You'll be the best fucking comedian for cars that anyone's ever fucking seen. You believe in yourself, guys. You keep going. That's I think after lockdown, we should just keep on doing car gigs until, until we yeah. get any good at them. I think we should just insist that people don't go to comedy clubs. I want to see them in car parks outside the club and then I'll deliver my material there in their cars. I want to know that if I do always be comedy for James Gill, he's going to have to wheel out a screen and I'm just going to be at home in my, in, my, in my living room doing it on the fucking Zoom and then everyone is going to... I'm going to be the only comedian that doesn't show up to any of his gigs. Uh, not because of a mental breakdown I've had that day, but because, you know, that's my plan now. <laughs> Do you know what? In all in all seriousness, he said that even after even after the club can go back, he might do the occasional Zoom gig because he's actually started to really enjoy them because he does two a week. He does the Tuesday one and the Wednesday one, and he's just, he actually started to really like them. So he probably he's probably going to keep going. He's a great he's a great guy. That's what a man! A <laughs> um, we've come such to sort guy. of like the end of. I think. Have you got anything that you want to plug, Jen? Yes, I do. Am I allowed to plug my podcast on yours? Of course you can. Okay, so I'm launching a new, uh, my uh, new podcast, which is WTB, uh, Women Talking Bollocks, which is launching on the 24th of July, which is today, Friday. Um, and I do it with Maureen Younger and uh, Alison June-Smith, and I would love people to have a listen. Just have a listen to the first episode, see if you like it. If you like it, subscribe, blah, blah, blah. And, of course, I have written a book. It'd be, I'd be... I'd be something or other if I didn't mention that. God, I've got literally no vocabulary. Um, so, yeah, it's called The Other Mother, and you can buy it at all places where they sell books. That's there we are. Have you got an audio book as well? I do. It's on Audible, and you can get that on Audible. Yeah. And that would, you know, if you're, it's, it feels like it's free, isn't it? Because you can just use the credit. There you just go. Just use the credit. Or, uh, well, I've never been able to work out 
how to claim my credits on Audible. So I pay for it, but I don't listen to any books. I bought, one, you... I bought one alien fan fiction book and then uh, I've never been able to work Audible since. But I've you... had it for two years now. Just You've what? probably got about 50 credits. You just go to Audible and log like, on. I think I've got six credits. I, yeah, don't, so... I think when you get to six, they don't top it up. They just... What? They just thought, well, you're not using it. Pick I'm a, a book. Like, I'm, a, I'm a lost cause when it comes to technology, Jen. Uh, OK, Nick. Well, it's very simple. You just pay with credit. But is this helping? Uh, no? I'll, I'll, I'll get your book. Yeah, fucking hell. But, I mean, I'm not going to buy any more alien fan fiction. Right, we're going to play again. Hicks lives. Come on, get over it. He died at the beginning of Alien 3. Right, so... <laughs> uh, we're going to play a game with you now, Jen. Oh, OK, right. OK, what's the game? This is the game. I'll take it away. It's called Better or Worse, and you have to say whether the next person I mention is better or worse than the person before, based entirely on my opinion. And you earn points if you guess what I think. Beginning with Daryl Hannah. But is John Hannah better or worse than Daryl Hannah? Worse. John Hannah worse than Daryl Hannah, yes. Correct, yeah, he's worse. John Malkovich, better or worse than John Hanna? Better. Better? Better. Gene Hackman, better or worse than John Malkovich? Better. Better. Jean-Claude Van Damme, better or worse than Gene oh. Hackman? Oh, well, I don't know. You might be a hardcore Jean-Claude Van Damme fan, but I'm going to say worse. 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 Uh, worse. Sean Connery, better or worse than Jean-Claude Van Damme? Well, I'd say worse, but you'd probably say better. I'll say better. better. Correct. Sean Bean, better or worse than Sean Connery? Worse. 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 Alan Sugar, better <laughs> or worse than Sean Bean? Worse! <laughs> worse. <laughs> Alan Cumming, better or worse than Alan Sugar? Better! Better. Uh. Alan Rickman, better or worse? Ooh! Oh my goodness, well, I'm going to have to say better. Better. Melissa McCarthy, better or worse than Alan Rickman? Oh, now you really, we're getting tricky now, aren't we? But I'm going to have to say worse because Alan Rickman is Alan Rickman. They can have two high cards, but she is worse. You okay. got ten! You got another ten! Absolutely no! I, I think I've got nine. I, I, I floundered on the Gene Hackman one, but you got ten, Jen. Uh, oh, you're, what does that mean? Well, you're up there with Jason Manford with ten. You're better than Harry Hill and Luke Morley with nine. You're better than Susie Dent and Magical Bones with eight. And you're better than Henry Normal and Johnny Vegas with seven. So, I knew I was going to be better than Henry Normal. I knew at it. At the top of the fucking league, Jen. Um, right, OK. Uh, don't go anywhere because we want to take a photo with you afterwards. But for the sake of all the listeners, thanks very much for coming. Oh, thanks for having me. What a treat. The coolest, nicest comedians I know. Thank you for coming on the show. Um, oh, thank you. Uh, that was an easy, easy chat. Thank you very much. Thank, thank you. Uh, I've been Nick Helm. There's been Nathaniel Metcalf. We're, we're welcoming Jen Brister up to the clubhouse and uh, listening next week and keep sending in your fan mail. We really like listening to it and talking. Brian Johnson's doing an amazing job reading it out. Uh, thanks very much, guys. Uh, talk to you next week. Bye.